If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're praying that God uh, furthers the work here at Rock Hill, not at Coastline, but uh, need a few more cups of coffee this morning. Luke chapter number 19 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, so excited about next week, Easter Sunday. And uh, believing that God is going to do something miraculous. We can either be a conduit through which the gospel can spread, or we can be a cul-de-sac where the gospel stays put. And we want to be a conduit through which the gospel can spread this week. And so just be praying that God will give you open doors of opportunity that you can uh, share the gospel with someone this week, share an Easter invitation with someone this week, and uh, God will bless that. We're going to look to a familiar passage of scripture this morning, Luke chapter number 19. This is known as the uh, triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem, marking uh, one week before Jesus would resurrect from the dead. And uh, that's what we're going to be celebrating next week and looking forward to that. And uh, this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, A Different Kind of King. A Different Kind of King. Everybody say, A Different Kind of King. We're going to be in Luke chapter number 19, verse number 28. The Bible says this, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass... When he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus uh, shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they were sent, and they that were sent went their way and found, even as the Lord had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, everybody say loosing the colt. As they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. Verse number 35. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole uh, multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. For they all... Uh, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King. Everybody say the King. Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. Everybody say beheld. He beheld the city. And he wept over it. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look to your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit today, Lord, to give me the words to say. God, I pray that our eyes can be focused on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I pray that we can understand the significance and the meaning behind this text. And God, I pray that, that you would just give us eyes of understanding today. And Lord, I pray that none of us can, can leave this room uh, the same way that we enter. God, I pray that we can leave changed and different uh, to do more for you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, my daughter, Olivia, is three years old, and she loves to uh, play with princesses and play dress up with princesses. And one of her favorite things to do is to be introduced as a princess. And so uh, sometimes she'll kind of go into a room and she'll uh, grab one of her favorite uh, princess outfits, her favorite princess costume, and uh, she will come and ask me or my wife Katie to introduce her. And she'll, she'll come in and, and she'll round the corner and she'll be so excited about that. And so she'll be kind of hiding in the corner and she'll kind of be giggling a little bit, ready in anticipation to be introduced. And, and, then, and then I will say uh, something like, now introducing 
Princess Olivia Love Chapel from Arendelle. And then we'll clap and she will, she will kind of walk out and she'll walk like a princess and she'll wave like a princess and she just laughs and she loves it. Uh, she definitely knows how to make an entrance. Uh, she loves to make that royal entrance. I remember not too long ago, uh, my family was in London and we were visiting some churches and we were visiting some different sites and different places. And uh, one of the things that we were able to do was to go and see what's called the Royal Muse uh, near uh, Buckingham Palace. And the Royal Muse was basically the royal stable that uh, they would keep all the, uh, all the royal horses and, the, uh, and all the carriages and different things like that. And at first I was a little bit hesitant uh, to go there because I was thinking, I don't really find that very interesting to go to a stable. But but they said, no, this is going to be worth your time. This is going to be awesome. And it turned out to be very cool. And uh, we, we went to this royal muse. We went to this stable. And uh, when you get to the middle of it, they have uh, the royal carriage there. And it's called the uh, Gold State Coach. And uh, this is what every British monarch has used since the 1700s. And uh, this is what they use for their, their coronation, their, their entrances. And, and uh, this uh, particular coach, just the gold on it, is worth $1.57 million just for the gold. And, and, uh, and uh, this is what uh, royalty uses to make an entrance. And that makes sense because when you're royalty, you should have a grand entrance, right? You should have uh, everything that you need for luxury and all these different things. But in Luke chapter number 19, we have the most famous royal entrance in all of history. But it was a very different kind of entrance. Because this was a very different kind of king. And the events that take place in Luke chapter number 19 are known as Palm Sunday. This is what kicks off what's called the Lord's Passion Week. Uh, one week later, Jesus would resurrect from the dead. And this is where Jesus makes his, his entrance into uh, the city of Jerusalem where he would die on a cross for the sins of humanity. And Jesus is about to make this entrance. And it says, if you have your Bible open in verse number 20, 28, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Verse number 29, it came to pass that when he was come nigh to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And so uh, we learn that Jesus is uh, on the Mount of Olives and he's near two cities, Bethphage um, and Bethany. And uh, I think, I believe we have a map this morning. And uh, you kind of see uh, the Mount of Olives, and, and about two miles east of the city of Jerusalem would have been these cities, uh, Bethphage and Bethany. And Jesus is traveling, making his way towards uh, the city of Jerusalem. He would have just had an encounter a couple weeks before with Lazarus, uh, miraculously raising him from the dead. Uh, he just had encounters with uh, men like Zacchaeus in Luke chapter number 19. He had just healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. And so you can imagine as Jesus is traveling this route that there are crowds of people coming to see what he was about to do, wanting to witness a miracle, wanting to see what is, what is this Jesus going to do next. And so there was this great uh, crowd that was following. But not only that, the Bible tells us that this was the week of the Passover, which would have meant that the crowds were unbelievably out of control. In fact, about 10 years after this text take, uh, took place, there was a census that was taken, and they determined that there were around uh, 260,000 lambs that were slaughtered for the Passover. And it was Jewish custom that one lamb could uh, be used for up to 10 people. And so most theologians and scholars say that there could have been upwards of 2 million people there going to celebrate the Passover. And so you can just imagine that the streets are, are crowded. And you can imagine people just thronging Jesus and wanting to see what is this man going to do? What, what's going to happen next? And there's kind of this buzz in the air and this excitement uh, that's taking place. And uh, all these people are just traveling, making their way to Jerusalem. Now, it's on this day that Jesus is about to do something something that he never did before. Jesus, up until now, would always keep his miracles somewhat private to an extent. He would heal someone. He would 
uh, 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 perform some miracle, and then he would tell the disciples, don't tell anybody about this. Because his time had not yet come, and he was waiting to fully reveal himself. In fact, the Bible says this in Mark chapter number 8, verse 29 and 30, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man. And so Peter says, you're the Christ, and Jesus says, let's not tell anybody yet. But on this day, everything changes. Jesus is going to, he's going to let everybody know that he is the coming Messiah, and that he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so on this day, he was going to make that public declaration, make it known to everyone that he is the true king, but he's a different kind of king. And the entrance that Jesus makes was not what the people would have expected. It would have been a little bit odd, a little bit unfamiliar how Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. This was unexpected. This was misunderstood. They didn't quite comprehend it. And I believe that many people today in our culture have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. There's a misconception about who God is, and many people are concerned and confused, and, and they have this idea, this vague idea about the person of Jesus, but they're, they're misunderstanding who he is. And so this morning, for a few minutes, what I would like to do is I would like to give you four characteristics of our king. I would like to give you four characteristics of the king of kings, the only uh, true king, the only king forever. And so if you're taking notes this morning, a few things about our king. Number one, our king is always in control. Everybody say in control. In control. Our king is always in control. In control. Notice what it says in verse number 29. It says this And it came to pass that when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon, ye, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. Now, you've got to kind of put yourself in the situation and kind of imagine what's going on here. Jesus is coming to the Mount of Olives. He's getting ready to make his descent into Jerusalem. And he tells two of his disciples, hey, I want you to go into a near city. And I want you to find a colt, a donkey that is tied up. And I want you to bring him to me. And imagine the disciples were thinking, Jesus, that sounds an awful lot like stealing. <laughs> you know, like I'm just going to go and I'm going to find a donkey and I'm going to take him. And if somebody asks me what I'm doing, I'm going to say, the Lord needs him. <laughs> you know, it's like if Jesus said to us, today, hey, I want you to go over into the next city and I want you to find a really nice car and get the keys and, and take that car. And if someone says, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> you know, no problem. And so the disciples are like, uh, I don't know if, if, if this is a good idea, but, but they, they go, verse number 32. And they uh, that were sent their way and found, watch this, even as he said unto them. So as the disciples go in obedience, as they follow Jesus' instructions, they found, everybody say found, they found even as he said. So everything that Jesus said, they saw to be true. Everything that Jesus said, they discovered, wow, this is a reality. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. If God said it, you will discover it to be true. If Jesus says something in, in his word, we know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that, is, that it is the very word of God. See, when it comes to the word of God, there are no guesses. There are only guarantees. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5, that every word of the Lord is pure. Everybody say pure. Every word of the Lord is pure. The Bible says in John 17, verse number 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Is anybody thankful today that we have a more sure word of prophecy? Is anybody thankful today that we have the very words of God and we can trust them 100%? And so I love that we see God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means that God is completely in control. He says, I want you to go into the next city and you're going to find a donkey tied up. I want you to take him. If anybody says, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord hath need of him. And so the disciples, they say, okay, I guess we'll go ahead and do that. And they make their 
way. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 28. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more of more value than many sparrows. I love that we serve a God who's interested in the details. If God is interested in a donkey, and if God is interested in a couple of sparrows, can I tell you this morning that God is interested in what's going on in your life? God is interested in your business. He's interested in your family. He's interested in your relationships. He's interested in your hobbies. He's interested in everything about you because he loves you. And so often we look for God in the drastic when often he's found in the details. And God is concerned with the smallest of details. He knew where this donkey would be. He knew what kind of donkey it would be. He knew that it'd be tied up. He knew what the owner of the donkey would say. And he knew what they should say back to the owner of the donkey because our God knows everything. And he is completely in control. Now I want you to see what happens in the text. Verse number 32. And as they were sent their way and found, even as he had said unto them, as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof saith unto him, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And so every single detail Jesus knew and prophesied of, and it came to pass. You know, there's going to be a lot of things in life that we don't fully comprehend, that we fully don't understand. Sometimes Jesus is going to send us on an, on an assignment that does not quite make sense, and we're not going to understand the details. We're not going to understand fully, fully be able to grasp what's taking place. Uh, John Glenn, uh, he is uh, famous for orbiting the earth, and uh, first man in space to orbit the earth, and, and he did this three times in a matter of about four hours and 50 minutes, and uh, this was an incredible uh, journey that he took. Uh, he was traveling at speeds when he was orbiting the earth about 17,000 miles per hour. Uh, just this incredible mission that took place. And uh, after he uh, landed somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, about 800 miles in, in the middle of the ocean somewhere, they, they, they found him, they brought him back, and they, and they gave him these awards, and they gave him the Space Congressional Medal of Honor, and they, they, they honored him, and he instantly became a hero. But what's so interesting about John Glenn taking flight and orbiting the Earth to me is there were so many details about that mission that they did not know what was going to happen. There were so many unknowns. They did not know how many times he would orbit the earth. They did not know how, how long it would take. They had some uh, uh, calculated guesses, but they were unsure about so many things, so much so that John Glenn was worried about where he was going to land after he returned to earth, that he literally carried a note in his pocket that was, that was translated into six, seven different languages because he thought he was going to land in some hostile environment where natives were going to be un unkind to him. And so he literally carried a note in his pocket when he was orbiting the earth that said this, uh, I come in peace, take me to your leader, there's going to be a great reward for you. There were so many unknowns, and I find it so amazing that this is one of the most, one of the most successful and one of the most famous missions that mankind has ever uh, set out uh, to endeavor and set out to accomplish, and this is one of the most amazing missions, but there were so many details that they didn't even know, but they still went out anyways. There's going to be so many details and so many things in our life that are just going to be left unknown, that we're just going to be unsure about how this is going to all play out. But that's why we need the faith to step out. That's why we need the faith to just say, you know what, I'm just going to trust God that even though I don't know, he is all-knowing, he's in control, he is all-sovereign, he is providential, and so I'm just going to go ahead and do what God has called me to do. And so our God is all-knowing, and the disciples, they, they go, they find the colt. They find the donkey, they start untying the donkey and they're looking around and then the owner's like, hey bro, that's my donkey. <laughs> and they say, the Lord hath need of him. And I find it interesting that the owner of the donkey does not put up a fight. 
He doesn't say, I don't care who needs him, that's my donkey. Maybe the owner of this colt, the owner of the donkey, maybe he had heard about Jesus. Maybe he had heard about some of the miracles that he had done. Maybe he heard about uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, something like that. But whatever the case is, he says, if, if Jesus needs him, if the Lord needs him, then you can have it. I wonder this morning, is that how we are with our possessions? If God needs it, I'll give it. God needs my car, you can have it. God needs access to my finances, you can have it. God, God needs to use my home to open it up for a small group, okay, you can have it. Are, are we willing to, to give what the Lord needs? See, I believe that God wants to bless your possessions. He wants to bless your potential, but you've got to give him access to it. I think it's interesting that, that four times in this text it says you've got to loose the donkey. When you're loosing the donkey, loosen it, loosen it. You've got to untie it. You've got to set it free. See, God cannot bless what you keep guarded. God wants to bless your finances. I believe that. God wants to bless your family, but you've got to give him access to it. See, God will not reward what you will not release. If we're, if we're not willing to release it and hand it over to God, then how is he going to bless that and reward that? And so the owner says, hey, if God needs it, he can have it. We need to have this understanding that says this in James chapter 1, verse number 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing in your life comes from above. Any blessing that you have is from God. It's not about how hard we work and, and the blessings that we might uh, occur on our own. No, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Jesus gave it to us anyways, and we're just stewards of what he's given us. And so we need to have the heart of the owner of the donkey that says, okay, you can have it. And so our God is completely in control. Our king is always in control. He is sovereign. Notice the second uh, point about our king this morning. Our king is right on schedule. Our king is right on schedule. Notice what it says in verse number 35 and 36. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And so now the disciples, they are uh, making this sacrifice. By the way, we don't know which disciples went. Luke, who is often very detailed in his recordings, he, he leaves that detail out because it's not about who has what assignment. It's all about what gives God the most glory. And so we don't know which disciples went, but two disciples went. They were faithful, and they, they, they took off their garments, and they put it on the, on the donkey so that Jesus could ride thereon. And verse number 36 says, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. They wanted to give him the red carpet treatment, if you will, and they took off their, 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 their outer garments, their coats that would have represent comfort, and they would have placed them on, on the floor so that Jesus could walk across them. And, and then it says this, and verse number 37, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives. And what I want us to understand this morning is that our king is right on schedule. Why all of these details about the donkey and why come in at, at this time and why, why do it all this way? Well, really this whole scene is filled and surrounded with biblical prophecy. And I want to mention just three of them this morning, okay, to, to, to see that our king is, is right on schedule. The first prophecy is, is found in Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9. This was written hundreds of years before the time of Christ, and it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king, everybody say thy king, 
Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass or a donkey. See, long before Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, this was prophesied that this would take place. This, 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 uh, this prophet Zechariah said, hey, when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, he's going to be riding on a donkey representing his humility. And so not only was Jesus making a demonstration and a declaration of his deity saying, hey, I am the coming Messiah. I am. I'm not, I'm not just a good person. I'm not just a good prophet. No, I am. I am the Messiah. I am God. He was declaring his deity, but he was also demonstrating his humility. Riding on the back of a donkey, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so this humble entrance of our king was prophesied hundreds of years before it took place because our king is right on schedule. There's a second prophecy that's surrounding this text, and it's found in Daniel chapter number 9, verse 25. It says this, Know therefore and understand, uh, Daniel had this vision, this angel spoke to him, this vision, and, and he says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. Everybody say seven weeks. Okay, now, in the Hebrew, that word weeks means seven sets, uh, seven periods of time. What it's talking about here is seven years. And so he's saying, uh, he's saying uh, from the time that it takes to, uh, uh, to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven sets of seven, seven years. And then it says this, and three score and two weeks, the street shall be, shall be built again, and the wall even in troubled, troublous times. And so uh, we got to do a little bit of math this morning, but it's, but it's easy math, okay? It's because we got to understand, uh, fully grasp the concept of, the, of this prophesy, uh, this, this vision, excuse me, that Daniel uh, saw. And so he says this, he says, from the time of the restoration of, of the temple, from the time that Artaxerxes delivered uh, the decree that the temple could be rebuilt to the time that the Messiah would come was going to be about 483 years. And I'll show you how we understand that. It says seven sets of seven, seven times seven is 49, right? And then it says that there's going to be three score and two sets of seven. So three score, 62 sets of seven years. So 62 times seven is 434 years. Are you hanging with me so far? Okay, so, so 434 years plus 49 years is... 483 years. You say, what's the big deal? This, 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 this vision that Daniel saw that it's going to be 483 years. Well, from the time that Artaxerxes delivered that decree, uh, uh, from the time that he said that, that the, the temple could be rebuilt and be restored, and the time that Jesus comes in on this day, Palm Sunday, was exactly... 483 years. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you didn't understand any of that, just understand this. Our king is right on schedule, okay? He, he came down to the very day that he, he came forward and he was riding on that donkey in fulfillment of prophecy and he came at the right time because he is always on schedule and sometimes sometimes his, his schedule does not make sense to us and sometimes God's timing is not our timing and sometimes we can get so frustrated because we want something to happen now or we want something to happen when we understand it, when God says, hey, just be patient because my timing is not your timing. A couple weeks before this in John chapter number 11, Lazarus, who was Jesus' friend, became very ill. And Jesus did not have a home in his earthly ministry, and he would often just stay at people's houses and stay at friends' houses. And, 
And uh, he would, the Bible says that the Son of Man has, has no place to lay his head. And so often he would stay with Lazarus, who was his great friend. And, and in John chapter number 11, Jesus gets word that they come to him, Mary and Martha, and they say, hey, the one that you love, Lazarus, is sick. In fact, in, in, in John chapter number 11, verse number 3, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They say, Jesus, you love Lazarus. You care about Lazarus. He's sick. He's getting ready to die. You need to come, and you need to heal him. They had seen his power, and so they were requesting his help to come. And notice what happens in John 11 verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode, he stayed two days, still in the same place where he was. Can you picture the scene? Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, Lazarus, you love him. He's sick. He needs your help. And Jesus says, I do love Lazarus and, and I love you guys. And he says, okay. And he stayed still two days. Can you imagine being Mary and Martha like, Jesus, what are you doing? Did you, not, did you not hear us? He's sick. He needs your help. Jesus, you need to come. You need to come heal him. Come on, Jesus, let's go, let's go, let's go. And Jesus just stays still for two days. That would have been frustrating, confusing. Why is Jesus waiting? And then, and, and then in fact, Lazarus dies. And so now Mary and Martha are saying, Jesus, if only you would have came sooner. If you would have only come when we had asked, maybe this would have never happened. Then John chapter 11, verse number 11 says this, These things said he, and after he had saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. See, Jesus had something far greater in store. He did not want to just simply heal his sickness. He wanted to raise him from the dead to give him more glory. And so what didn't make sense to Mary and Martha made perfect sense in God's sovereignty because he said, this is going to give me greater glory. This is going to give me greater honor. And just you just got to trust me. It doesn't make sense why I'm waiting, but just trust me. I got something good in store. And I just want to tell you this morning, if God has you in a waiting season, that means that he's in a working season. And I just believe that God is up to something when we're waiting and sometimes we feel like like waiting time is wasted time, but God says, hey, I'm in control. My timing is perfect. My timing is always right on schedule. And so our king is right on schedule. We see these two first prophecies, but there's a third prophecy that has yet to take place that's surrounding this, this Mount of Olives. I believe we have a picture of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is, is a few miles east uh, of the city of Jerusalem, and you can look down to the Temple Mount there when you're standing on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says this, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 4, and his feet shall stand in that day. Everybody say that day. That day is in reference and speaking to the second coming of the Lord. And upon that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And basically there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back to this Mount of Olives, and he's not going to establish an earthly kingdom. He's going to establish an eternal kingdom, and he is going to reign forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. And just as sure as those two first prophecies were, we can guarantee that this prophecy will happen as well. And so Jesus is going to come and set up this eternal king, kingdom because he's right on schedule. Notice number three this morning if you're taking notes. Our king is worthy of worship. Our king is always in control. Our king is right on schedule. And our king is worthy of wor worship. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 37 says this. And when he was come nigh... Even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Everybody say, praise God. Praise God. They began to rejoice and they began to praise God. 
with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so as Jesus is making his way uh, now uh, down to the city of Jerusalem, the people start to praise him. They start to exalt his name. They start to rejoice that Jesus is now coming. Their, their king was now coming. Now, often the crowds get it wrong, but this time the crowd got it right because they were praising the name of Jesus and they were rejoicing that their king was coming. They were practicing what's called antiphonal singing, which meant the, the group in the front would shout something and then the group in the back would repeat it and they were singing and they were shouting and they were praising. And, and, and Mark's gospel tells us that they were shouting Hosanna. Hosanna, which means to save now. And that was their, their, their heart's desire. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed be the king that comes. Hosanna, save now. Save us, save us. By the way, that's our heart's desire and that's our prayer uh, for today and for next week for Easter. We're praying that God would save now. We're praying that God would do a great saving work so that when we fill this room up with, with unchurched and guest people, uh, guests that, that are unfamiliar with the gospel, that they can accept the saving message of Jesus Christ and they can have a home in heaven forever and they can take it to the bank and guarantee that that is a reality. And so we're praying that God would save now. Everybody say save now. Amen. They're shouting Hosanna. Blessed be the king. They're, they're praising him. Now, this would have looked very, very silly to a lot of people that were watching, especially to the Romans, because the Romans were used to what was called a Roman triumphus. And what would happen when a Roman general would parade back from war, he would often uh, kind of show off the spoils from war, and he would, he would come back with, with defeated kings often, and he would come back with, this, with these mighty war horses, and he would come back with elephants sometimes, and lions, and, and tigers, and there would be shouting in celebration, and there'd be these great carriages and these, these horses. And so when the Romans saw the Jews and all these people saying, Hosanna, this is our king, they were thinking, is this some sort of joke? It didn't quite make sense to them. Why are they waving the palm branches? And why are, they, why are they laying their clothes down? And why is he riding a donkey and not on a mighty war horse? And what's going on here? This is, is, this, is this some sort of weird joke? They didn't quite understand it. Because our king is a different kind of king. And so they start praising him. But watch what happens in verse number 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master... Rebuke thy disciples. And so as Jesus is riding this donkey, entering the city of Jerusalem, and all the people start praising and rejoicing, and they're saying, Hosanna, save now, and they're, and, and they're shouting, and they're, they're filled with excitement, and excitement is in the air. Then the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, hey, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop praising. By the way, whenever you worship God out of a sincere heart, and whenever you're praising God, there's always going to be people that think it's a little bit over the top. There's always going to be people that think, why are they so excited? Why are they praising? Why do they clap in church? And why do they get so excited? I don't know. I just happen to believe that our king is worthy of worship. I just happen to believe that our king deserves the unmatched praise of his people. And if we can get excited about a TV show and we can get excited about sports, then we ought to get excited and praise the name of Jesus because he alone is worthy of our praise. And so Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem and they're praising him and they're shouting and they're rejoicing and things were going great. And the, disciples, and the Pharisees say, hey, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. And I love what Jesus responds. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 40. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus says, if I ask my disciples to stop praising, the very stones, the essence of nature will praise my name because I'm going to get my praise one way or another. He says, if I ask them to stop praising, the stones will start to praise. This would have been the very first rock concert. <laughs> I did not make that up, but it was too good to, to not share this morning. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want the stones to have to praise in my place. I don't want there to be an absence of praise on my part, and so nature has to fill in my praise for me. No, I want to lift up high the name of Jesus. I want to praise his mighty name. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Does anybody want to praise the Lord this morning and lift up his name high? He alone is worthy of our worship, and he alone is worthy of our praise. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and our King is worthy of worship. So Jesus says the stones are going to start praising if they don't praise. And there was this great excitement in the air, but not only was there excitement in the air, but there were also some expectations in the air. See, even though the Jews had the right, had the right mindset and they were, they, were, they were praising Jesus like they should have been, even though they were praising and rejoicing, they had some expectations that were unmet. They were praising this king because they thought this king would come and set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Roman government and they would, that, that this king would, would set them free from their earthly bondage that they were in under the Roman government. But Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to set up an eternal kingdom. This was not just a temporary kind of, uh, I'm going to take care of this moment, this situation right here. No, he, he was wanting to set them free from spiritual bondage to give them a home in heaven forever. And so... The Jews, they misunderstood his purpose. And there were these expectations that went unmet. In the 1994 World Cup, there was a game between Colombia and the United States. And you might remember uh, a soccer player by the name of Andre Escobar. And Andre Escobar uh, was a great uh, soccer player, and the people and the fans loved him. And on this particular game in the World Cup, when Colombia was playing the United States, they were favored to win the game. Well, on accident, Andre Escobar accidentally trying to save a goal, he accidentally kicked the ball into his own net. And they lost the game. And as you can imagine, Andre felt terrible. This was, this was the worst thing that could possibly happen. Well, two weeks later, in an empty parking lot, some angry fans found Andre, and they pulled out a gun, and they murdered him. And so they loved him when things were going their way. And then when it didn't go their way, they murdered him. People loved Jesus when things were going their way. And then when it didn't go their way, they murdered him. We need to be very careful that we guard our expectations. Because so often what we experience is not what we expected, and then what happens is we get offended. When the reality of what you experience is not what you expected, don't be offended. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number, Matthew chapter number 11. He said, blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. And many times we set ourselves up with these lofty expectations of what our spiritual journey should look like. And then when they don't happen, we get offended and we get upset. And so we need to be very careful that we guard our expectations. See, we do not worship Jesus for what he can give us. We worship Jesus for who he is. And they were, they were thinking, what is this king going to offer us? Is he going to establish this earthly kingdom? And that's what they were hoping and longing for when Jesus said, I have something far greater in store. And so there was excitement in the air, but then there was also these unmet expectations that were in the air. And I want you to notice the fourth quality, the fourth characteristic of our king this morning. Our king is full of compassion. Our king is always in control. Our king is right on schedule. Our king is full of compassion. Notice what the Bible says. Verse number 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city. Everybody say beheld. He went, he was at the top, he was looking at the city of Jerusalem, and he beheld it. He was 
looking at it intently. This was not kind of a quick glance. This was uh, an earnest look. This was a really kind of stop and stare and contemplate and think about what he was looking at. And he beheld the city and he wept over it. So it's kind of an odd scene. They're praising Jesus' name. Hosanna, they're rejoicing. Everything is great. And Jesus looks over the city and he begins to weep. Here's why, verse number 42, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Jesus says, You have no idea what's about to happen. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of my visitation." What was Jesus saying? Jesus was looking at the city of Jerusalem and he was declaring what was about to happen, that the city would be destroyed. And he was thinking in just a few short years, this city is gonna be teared down. It's gonna be destroyed. And it's all because you did not recognize the day of my visitation. You did not understand that I was coming and who I was. You're not grasping it. You're not understanding who I really am. You're not, you're not fully understanding this. And that broke Jesus' heart. And he begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem because he was full of compassion. I remember when Katie and I first moved to Fontana, we were here for about a week and we drove up into the hills of Rancho Cucamonga and we looked out over the city and we prayed for God to do a great work in this city. And God has instilled in us a burden to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And we want to have that same compassion that Jesus has, that when we look out onto the fields, we see that they are white and ready to harvest. And we just need to be the laborers that God can use to bring forth in many people that do not know Jesus and many people that don't know where they will spend eternity. And God wants to use us to show them the way. But we've got to have compassion. So as Jesus is looking out over the city and, he, and he's being filled with compassion and he's burdened and he's heartbroken for what's about to take place, he's also got the weight of the cross upon his shoulders and he's thinking about how just in just a few days that he would be rejected and that, how he would have to, to bear the weight of the cross and experience the crucifixion. And in just a few days, Jesus would make his way to the cross where there would be a crown of thorns placed upon his head where he would be spit upon, where he would be beaten over and over and over again, where the beard from his face would literally be plucked out, where people would laugh at him and mock him, where he would be crucified. The word crucifixion is where we get our word excruciating. It's an indescribable event where they would place nails in his hands and in his feet, and he would be hung on a cross, and people during those days from crucifixion did not die from blood loss or something like that. They died uh, from lack of oxygen. They, they died from suffocation because they couldn't quite breathe, and Jesus suffered there on the cross for you and for me because he's full of compassion. Jesus always knew that he had to go to the cross. It was always a part of the plan. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. See, one thing we all have in common this morning is we're all sinners. We've all done wrong. There's none of us in here that are righteous, that, that are completely righteous. No, no, no. No, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and it's because of our sin that Jesus died on the cross. Charles Spurgeon said this, a famous pastor said this, we took our sins and drove them like nails through his hands and feet. We lifted him high upon the cross of our transgressions and then we pierced his heart through with the spear of our unbelief. See, it was because of our sin 
that Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 John 2, 2 says, and he is the propitiation or the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Is anybody thankful today that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, nailing our sins to the cross so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can have a home in heaven? See, he did it for you and he did it for me because of his compassion. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. He died there on the cross, but I want to encourage you, it was all a part of the plan. It was all a part of the plan. What looked like a defeat was a setup for victory. He yielded up the ghost. Luke's gospel said he gave up the ghost, and it almost sounds like Jesus, he couldn't take it anymore, and so he just, he gave up the ghost. He had to quit. He gave up, and he died, but the word yielded in the Greek is very interesting. It's afaeme, and the word actually means to be dismissed. Daniel, come up here for a second. It was a term that only a king would use. A king would someone uh, would summon someone in and say, hey, I need you to do this, and I need you to do this. You got it? You got it? Okay, you're dismissed. Leave. Come back here. Come back here. Come back here. I need you to also to do this, and I need you to do this, and I go, go here. You got it? You understand it? You're dismissed. You're dismissed. See, it was a term of authority. It was a term of control. And so when Jesus yielded up the ghost, he wasn't giving up saying, man, I just can't take it anymore. No, he was saying, now is the time. You are dismissed. Now is the time. I'm going to die on the cross for the payment of all mankind for their sins so that I can rise again from the dead three days later. See, what looked like a defeat was actually set up for a victory because Jesus is always in control and he knew what was going to take place long before it did. And so we can celebrate the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He was always in control. Next week, we're going to have a great celebration. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that he's working today. But as we approach next week, let's ask God to put inside of us a compassion like Jesus had, that when we see our neighbors, that when we see our family members, that when we see the people at our workplace, that we can have a compassion on them to invite them in. See, God wants to use us to do a great work. We're going to pray, we're going to work hard, and leave the results to God. Our king, he's always in control. Our king is right on schedule. Our king is worthy of our worship. And our king is full of compassion. He's a different kind of king. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Jesus came to earth in his first advent so humbly, being born in a manger. He made this triumphant entry so humbly. He made his way to the cross. Why? For you and for me. See, we can have a relationship with Jesus and we can have a home in heaven, not because we can 
have something to offer, not because we're good, not because we've, you know, come to church or read our, read our Bibles, nothing like that. No, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's only through relationship with Jesus. It's not about works. In fact, Titus specifically says that in Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. He says, it's not by works of righteousness, which we, we have done. It's by his mercy that he saved us. It's a free gift from God. You can't earn a gift. You receive a gift. This morning, there might be some of you in here today that you have some knowledge of Jesus and you have some, maybe some background and maybe a little, some knowledge about God and different things, but maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, you can have a home in heaven. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt because we can trust Scripture. We, we can trust the Word of God. Because when it comes to God's word, there's no guesses, there's only guarantees. This morning, what I'd like to do in, in this time of reflecting about who our king is, our king came to, to save, save now, Hosanna. What I'd like to do in this moment is if there are someone here that have never received Jesus Christ as your savior, what I'd like to do is just to give you an opportunity. This is not gonna be an awkward, weird time. This is just gonna be a private time between you and God. And, and if you'd like to, experience the free gift of salvation that Jesus offered, the reason he died on the cross and the reason he suffered was so that we can have a relationship. And I believe that today we should have an opportunity to respond to the cross. And so what we're gonna do is, is I'm just gonna lead in a simple prayer. The Bible says it's, it's by faith through grace that we can have a relationship with God. So I'm just gonna pray in a simple prayer. And if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ, your savior, you can pray along in your heart with me. Nobody's looking around. This is a private moment between you and God. But if you believe that Jesus died for your sin and that he rose again from the dead and you have that faith, you can believe, you can accept Jesus today. You can have a new relationship with him. You can have a new beginning. And so as I pray this prayer, if you'd like to pray along with me, you can do so in your heart. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son to live a perfectly sinless life so long ago. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. And I know that because of my sin, there's a price to be paid in eternal separation from God in a terrible place called hell. But today I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I wanna accept you as my savior. I wanna call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, please enter into my heart. Help me to live a new life for you. Today, I'm believing and I'm accepting in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Nobody's looking around. This is a private moment. How I many can say, you know, Pastor Matt, as you prayed that, nobody's looking around, but I just want to know how I can pray and how I can be an encouragement to you. How many can say, as you prayed that, you know, I prayed along with you. I prayed that prayer for the first time today. That's you. Can you just slip your hand up so I can see? I prayed that prayer with you today. Thank you. How many of you could say, today as we talked about our king, I was reminded about his sacrifice on the cross, and I was reminded about how our king is in control. How many of you could say, God spoke to me in one of these areas, and, and, and this week I want to live an intentional life preparing for the resurrection. Sunday next week. God spoke to me in one of these areas. Is that you? Can I see your hand? Can you lift your hand up? God spoke to me in one of these areas. Thank you. Let's all stand together this morning.